In today's postmodern, relativistic, and politically correct culture, our kids are taught in their public schools, in the media, and by many of their favorite pop icons that tolerance is in, while intolerance is, well, out, and very often considered on par with racism and even bigotry. But when we really peel back the onion, we find that intolerance can actually be a virtue. For instance, what person of character and moral standing would say that anyone should actually tolerate murder or stealing for that matter, or racism or bigotry? Well, tolerance of things like slavery, for example, can be an ugly thing, and that's why we and our kids need to learn the beauty of intolerance. That's next on Licensed to Parent. Well, hello and welcome once again to Licensed to Parent, a program dealing specifically with the way in which we raise our teens. The teen years are often the most challenging, and it's our job here to equip you to do it right to the best of our ability. Our host on Licensed to Parent is Trace Embry, who has over 20 years' experience dealing with the toughest of the tough as founder and director of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. And I'm Rich Rosell. Our question today, to be or not to be intolerant? That really is the question as we open up today's program. And I think that there are a lot of people in America today, Trace, who would say that being intolerant is never a good thing. Yeah, you're right. Uh, unfortunately, Rich, we have a lot of people today who are, who are being taught, dare I say, brainwashed into what to think, while not enough of us are really being taught how to think today. And, and what makes your statement about tolerance even more disturbing is that it's some of the most educated among us who would be the first to paint with a broad brush this notion that intolerance makes you a, a bigot or a racist or even a hater, or in our case, right-wing, Bible-thumping, knuckle-dragging Neanderthals. <laughs> but, you know, knowing that there's no fool like the educated fool, D.L. Moody once said, if all you do is educate a guy who's been stealing railroad spikes, educate him, he'll steal the whole railroad. So it, it takes a bit more than a mere academic glance at the term intolerance to realize that this word can actually be a virtue in the right circumstances. And so I say hats off to the McDowells uh, uh, for, again, uh, bringing this subject to light. Well, you've just given a little bit of a tip-off as to the identity of today's guest, Sean McDowell, Ph.D., is an assistant professor at Biola University in the M.A. Christian Apologetics Program. Uh, he is also a best-selling author of more than 15 books, including one we'll be discussing today, and I gave that title away in the introduction as well, The Beauty of Intolerance, a book which he co-wrote with another popular guest on our program, his dad, Josh McDowell. And uh, anyway, it's great to have Sean with us as we dive into being able to tolerate intolerance or being intolerable to tolerance, I think. <laughs> Sean, welcome to Licensed Apparent. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Listen, uh, you know, I, I happen to believe that our, our culture in and of itself is arguably a parent's greatest nemesis when raising kids today. What are some of the more dangerous uh, culturally accepted norms that, uh, that too many Christian parents just blindly tolerate today? Well, in the book, The Beauty of Intolerance, we try to frame the larger issue in terms of kind of the biblical narrative compared to the cultural narrative. Mm -hmm. So, for example, really the cultural narrative is the idea that truth comes from the individual. There's no source outside of the truth. It's subjective and it's situational. And yeah. it's known simply through choosing to believe something and personal experience. So, 
the larger culture narrative is as long as you believe something and you're true to yourself, then nobody should be able to judge you. Well, I think the biblical narrative is very different than this. And of course, we're not always saying the Bible is against culture. That's not the point. But in many circumstances, it is. We would say the biblical narrative is that truth is grounded in the character of God outside of us. It's universal and it's objective. So truth is not something we create. It's not something that we come up with and is based in our feelings and beliefs. It's something outside of us that is found in the character of God. So this really gets at the heart of how a young person understands freedom. So I'll ask my high school students. I teach a bio full-time, but still teach um, a couple high school classes. And I'll ask them, what do you think freedom is? And almost all students will say, freedom is doing whatever you want to do without somebody telling you how to live. Well, that's just representative of the cultural narrative. Whereas true freedom is not doing whatever we feel like and whatever we want. True freedom is actually having the capacity to do what is right, living according to God's design. So I think that narrative is at the heart of how our young people are understanding and experiencing the world today. Yeah, there's an argument that uh, that kind of freedom defined uh, as a postmodern thinker would define it is actually slavery, uh, slavery to one's self, uh, one's own carnal desires. I was telling you before the program started, we have our parenting weekend here at Shepherd's Hill Academy, and one of the things that uh, we start out with is the, the, the foundation of reality and how to know truth, and truth is really conforming the mind to reality. And uh, I think that's what you're trying to do when, you, when you're defining uh, tolerance and intolerance. Um, how have you seen our culture's view of tolerance bleed over into the American parenting paradigm in a way that has hampered parents' ability to truly build healthy relationships with their kids? Well, let me explain how the idea of tolerance has changed and then I think how it affects parenting. So classically in Western culture, and I think the Bible agrees with this, is that tolerance used to mean you would recognize and respect someone when you don't share their values, beliefs, and or practices. So to tolerate somebody is to say, I think you're wrong, I disagree with you, but I still respect you, I still like you, let's be friends. In fact, I might even go in the military and die for your right to hold that belief. Mm -hmm. Tolerance implies disagreement and, in fact, moral judgment. Now tolerance is to recognize and respect that every individual's values truths, claims, and beliefs, and practices are equally valid. So now you can no longer say to somebody that their beliefs or their lifestyle or their practices are wrong. You can't make any moral judgments or you are being intolerant. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're seeing so many parents today afraid to teach their kids to make real moral judgments. Oh boy, you're right. And so it's almost like we're allowing kids to just kind of decide for themselves. And we talk about with kids, you know, I just want you to be true to yourself. And of course, two things go off in my mind. Number one, I think I don't want a 14-year-old kid to be true to him or herself. They don't really know anything about the world. And second, you know, when we think about human nature and the Bible talks about, yes, we're made in God's image, but we're fallen. My goodness, being true to ourselves can be disastrous when it's not informed with a biblical worldview. I'm curious about one thing, just in talking about uh, how the term tolerance sort of seems to be morphing and migrating into new meanings. Um, It it seems that uh, some years back there was a difference between tolerance and uh, condoning something. 
But now I, I would say it may even go farther than what the two of you were just talking about, and that is you're not even allowed to disagree. You're, you're supposed to go beyond tolerance and embrace whatever the other person's exactly. feeling is. So therefore, even being true to yourself is no longer possible if you are to be tolerant. Well, I think that's right. I actually think this version of tolerance requires not only that we don't object to somebody's beliefs, but that we actually praise it. Yeah, embrace and we say celebrate. that it's good, and we say that it's equal, and we participate within it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we have become intolerant and exclusive and homophobic and, in fact, Talibanic, as one activist referred to me. <laughs> so I think you're right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you something. Uh, how much of our nation's ills and our parent-child relationship problems are birthed in semantics, mere semantics, or, or the redefinition of terms? Honestly, that's, that is hard for me to make an assessment on the amount of it that is, but I would just say that in my conversations with, with parents speaking around the country, there is an enormous amount of confusion about what words like tolerance and respect mm-hmm. and dignity mean. It's almost as if the generations, um, probably 30, 35 and up, are speaking a different language Absolutely. than those that are below it, using the same words. Yeah speaking very different language, so we don't take the time to clarify those terms, we're actually communicating something very different mm-hmm. to our kids than we intend to. So that's why, I mean, we wrote the book is just to say, time out. We've got to get real clarity on an understanding of tolerance, dignity, respect, inclusiveness, what that means, yeah. and how these ideas have really shaped young people. And I think the other problem is a lot of it also can be underneath the surface, And it can shape kids' thinking because they've seen TV shows, they've heard things at school, they've read it on the Internet. And if parents aren't having these thoughtful conversations with their kids, they might not even be aware of how much these ideas are really infiltrating their thinking. I think you're right. You you, you mentioned freedom and how we've redefined freedom uh, to be the freedom to do what you want rather than the freedom to do what you ought. Of course, ought implies an absolute, and that's something that postmodern thinkers just can't tolerate. <laughs> uh, what are some other good, godly, and traditional terms besides tolerance and, and freedom that, that, that postmodern thought has redefined with the devil's dictionary to make our parenting experience more difficult? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question. Let me give you an example. In the 2008 presidential election for Obama, he had asked Rick Warren to give the prayer, uh, the opening prayer for, for his inauguration, and it came out that Rick Warren had supported Prop 8 in California and was against same-sex marriage. Now, a spokesman for the Obama administration said, look, the president disagrees with him very firmly on this issue, but he's always had a value of partnering with people that he disagrees with. This is going to be the most inclusive, (laughs) use the term inclusive, inaugural address in history. Fast forward to 2012, just four years later, at the time roughly the country was hitting the tipping point, and beginning to accept same-sex marriage. President Obama selects Lou Giglio, another conservative, uh, beloved uh, pastor who's the head of passion, had done a ton of work specifically on sexual slavery, helping out students. Well, some activists pulled up a, a speech that he had given, given a standard biblical view on homosexuality from the 90s, like a decade and a half earlier. And what it came out is that 
all there's a big firestorm, people are calling him names, and Lou Giglio, I believe it was the day after, just graciously stepped down. Mm-hmm. Well, Christianity Today had an article about it, and they quoted a spokesman saying the president was not aware that he held these views on homosexuality. We do not want Giglio to be a part of it because we want this to be an inclusive inauguration. Now, yeah. Inclusive they, as long as you uh, agree. <laughs> right, exactly. It, exactly, but that term inclusive has changed. It used to mean we disagree, but I'm going to include your voice yeah, because that's right. important for dialogue and debate. Now inclusiveness means silencing and punishing anybody yeah. who doesn't adopt the progressive view. Yeah. Again, godly terms with the devil's dictionary. But Let me just step in as the devil's advocate. I hate to use that term, but... Um, there there may be many who would say, you know, if if we really are inclusive, if we really are tolerant of all worldviews, of all beliefs, where is the problem in that? Now, of course, you know, we just described uh, being tolerant of anybody as long as they agree with your new, you know, postmodern thought. But uh, but but just uh, talk about that for a moment. Where is the danger in being tolerant if you really are tolerant of the other beliefs? I don't think somebody can be genuinely tolerant and exclude somebody with a seat at the table. I don't, I don't think it can actually work that way. Right. But I think, I, I think the larger cultural problem is these labels like intolerant, homophobic, bigoted, exclusive. Those terms are used essentially to just silence debate. So what our culture largely has been built on, you know, our multicultural, pluralistic societies, that we have different religious beliefs, there's different ethical beliefs, there's different beliefs about politics, and we will debate these, we will disagree, but people will still go out and have dinner, have a drink together, and hang out, whatever it is. That's the idea behind this. We can disagree firmly, but still have a common core and a society amidst disagreement. Now, opposition is being silenced. They're being threatened, yeah. and ironically enough, as we've seen with recent bills in the U.S., those with a different view are being bullied to be silent. So we're really, what's happening is people are using power and just force to silence people with any kind of opposition, which destroys fruitful, genuine debate. I mean, yeah. even Roberts said this in the Obergefell decision. He said, look, by forcing this on the court... He said those in favor of same-sex marriage have actually lost the ability to have won the culture from within. Instead, they forced it from the top down. And I think he's right. That's what this new idea of intolerance and bigotry, that's what's happening with debate. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, it, it seems like uh, opposite opinions are getting more and more volatile as, as the gap becomes wider and wider. Is this thing really a worldview problem at its core? I mean, you know, the 1960s really ushered in the postmodern worldview that uh, uh, kind of defined the 1960s, a rebellion. Is this a worldview problem at its core? Because, again, parents and, and kids are talking, using largely uh, the same terms. But when they're redefined, uh, they, they really can't communicate very well. So how important is coming at reality, at relationships, from the same worldview? I think it unmistakably is a worldview idea. There's no way around it because anytime we have discussion, anytime we have dialogue, anytime we have difference, anytime we try to parent our kids, 
it's coming from a certain perspective and a worldview of what we think is good, what we think is right, how we think people should live. So we can't escape this worldview component behind it. And let, let me give you one more example that might help make this come clear. We talked about inclusiveness and tolerance changing. Here's, here's one more. Take the issue of dignity. It used to be that dignity meant that someone was created in the image of God and you have inherent worth as an individual. So it's what we call pre-political, meaning that the government doesn't create dignity. It recognizes the dignity that's already there in an individual. So just like the number two is essentially even, human beings essentially have dignity. But now dignity has changed. Now it's something that humans gain just by personal choices and standards created by the individual. In other words, we hear about things like death with dignity. (laughs) If I can't die according to the way that I think is most compassionate, then you've stolen my dignity. Of course, in the Obergefell decision again, Kennedy, in his leading defense of the case, he said, by not allowing people the same sex to marry, we are stealing their dignity. Hmm. So even this idea of dignity, which is a worldview issue, has changed. And like you said, parents and kids can talk about it, but if they don't really understand and ask questions like, what do you mean by dignity? Where do you think dignity comes from? What does the Bible teach about dignity? If God didn't exist, how exactly could human beings even get dignity? These kinds of questions are huge for Hmm. parents to have with their kids. Absolutely. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent is the dignified Sean McDowell, who is a co-author with his father, Josh McDowell, of the book, The Beauty of Intolerance, which we are discussing today. And uh, you can find him online at seanmcdowell.org. You can find us online at licensedtoparent.org, and you'll find more conversation right here in just a couple of minutes. Stay with us. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? 
Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? Help My Troubled Teen. Today on Licensed to Parent, our guest is Sean McDowell, author of the book, The Beauty of Intolerance, a title that may be surprising to many, but we're finding that tolerance sometimes may make us more intolerant, Mm -hmm. at least if you use uh, today's definitions. And Trace, we've been talking about some of the confusion that our culture has with the issue of tolerance. Absolutely. Uh, Sean, in, in your book, you, you uh, draw a line of demarcation between cultural tolerance and traditional tolerance. Uh, we talked a little bit about that earlier. Kids are going to uh, public school and largely being taught, of course, cultural tolerance. What advice do you give to parents when they find out that, that uh, juniors teachers, not just you know inadvertently or accidentally, uh, but aggressively indoctrinating their kids with a cultural view of tolerance and other postmodern ideologies that conflict uh, with their biblical worldview. Well, one example we give in the book is this philosophy professor, Justin McBrayer, who goes to his second grade um, daughter's class and sees a sign that says, fact, things you can prove and know, opinion, matters of preference. And that starks his, kind of strikes his interest. So he goes to track down the curriculum, and they're trying to teach the kids the difference between fact and opinion, which is good. But every single value claim was a matter of opinion. Cheating is wrong. Terrorism is wrong. Having an affair is wrong. Those were all determined matters of opinion. Well, as Christians, we can freak out. We can boycott. We can write letters to the news. I think the first thing to do is to go in and just talk to that teacher personally. My parents always taught me to give the teacher the benefit of the doubt, even aggressive teachers. I think most teachers are trying to do what they think is right. Mm -hmm. So hopefully there's already a relationship that is there with the parent. Second, use this as an opportunity to talk to your kids. This is a great opportunity. I mean, I remember some things I won't go into detail, but there were some mild scandals at my school with education. As a kid, I remember being interested and wanting to talk about it. And it was an opportunity my parents used to teach worldview. So give the teacher benefit out, talk to your kids, and then if it continues and it's aggressive, that's when you take it up a notch and you probably get other like-minded parents together and you go talk to the administration or do something public. Now that should be a very last resort after we've really worked through with our kids, worked through with our teachers knowing that there are going to be some things taught in public schools, not most things, but there are going to be some things we will object to. We kind of need to expect that going in. So would it be disrespectful for a student to uh, ever ask his liberal teacher if uh, she would, quote, tolerate his moral conviction to cheat in order to receive an A in her class? I mean, after all, he's only doing what's right for him. Uh, Does that make the teacher a bigot for being intolerant of her student's differing moral standard? I think what you just illustrated is the most important thing to teach our kids, which is just how to ask good questions respectfully. Mm-hmm. Now, teachers also know which kids pay attention, which kids care. 
which kids are doing good work and tend to respect those kids more. So if you want your kid to be taken seriously, whether the kid will do it or not is a separate issue, but having conversations like, hey, do you listen well? Do you respect your teacher? Then when you ask these kinds of questions, they're more likely to hear you. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Just simply asking these kind of questions, pointing out the inconsistency is wonderful. Now, a second, third, fifth, sixth grader is probably not going to come up with that themselves. <laughs> but if we're really involved in what our kids are learning, involved in the schools as we should be, we will see these opportunities arising. And then we can help our kids respond in the way you mentioned by just simply asking those kinds of questions. Yeah, with respect, of course, as you said. Um, yeah. We, we talk about biblical authority, and I think a lot of parents feel inadequate in trying to discuss with their kids the biblical you know, uh, worldview and the authority of, of Scripture. Uh, how do we justify the legitimacy of Scripture to our kids when, when different denominations see their Christianity as uh, more a fluid thing that evolves with the times and, and, and Scripture as a document that's more open to subjective interpretation? Of course, then you've got the Orthodox Bible, you've got the Catholic Bible, the Protestant Bible— and all of the internet websites that are trying to shoot each one of them down. Like xchristian.com and all this stuff. Uh, how does a parent approach their child and, and legitimize Scripture uh, when, they, when they're in, just inundated with a sea of uh, naysayers? Well, I think the first thing parents have to do is just admit to themselves and their kids that they don't know everything, mm-hmm. and that's okay. I don't have all the answers. Sure. Now, even though the Orthodox and Catholics and Protestants differ on a handful of books, there is large agreement on the Old Testament and New Testament books, which share the heart of the Christian message. Mm-hmm. So even if things aren't as neat and tidy as we would like, Within Christendom, there is large agreement on what we would call the essentials, Mm -hmm. which is what really matters for biblical authority. So I I would get some simple books like More Than a Carpenter, a book that my dad and I wrote together. He wrote it first, and I helped him update it, that talks about how we know the Bible in particular has been translated, it's been copied, etc., how we know that it's true. Uh, send yeah. kids to things like Summit Ministries um, for students. I mean, it's one of the best ministries yep. that goes into depth on the Bible being true and biblical authority and Christian thinking. Um, I have some videos on my site, seanmcdowell.org. How do we know the Bible is true? Watching those with your kids and just having these kind of conversations, just beginning to talk about these things is one of the most valuable things that you can do. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean, for parents who send their kids to private Christian schools, uh, how can they best defend and fight against government intrusion when legislators try to stifle the moral teaching of Scripture that the school adheres to, particularly as it pertains to sexual perversions? I think the most important thing is to go contact the head of schools, contact the principal, and make sure they are aware of and acting on this right now. In our private school, we, uh, we had a conference all day on issues of like homosexuality, religious freedom, and it was for the board all the way down how to address these issues. Some schools are addressing it, some are not. So just go in. If they're addressing it, let them do their thing, but also just make yourself available. Sure. Can I help? Do you need to bring in speakers? Do you need resources? How can we be equipped as a school? Do we have the legal help we need to be ready to respond to this? Mm, awesome. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent has been apologist, speaker, and best-selling author of many books, including The Beauty of Intolerance, Sean McDowell. By the way, you'll find that book and his other books 
and can learn more about his ministry at seanmcdowell.org. That's Sean spelled S-E-A-N, McDowell spelled M-C-D-O-W-E-L-L, seanmcdowell.org. Sean, you have blessed us by, first of all, being available all the way from the great state of California. Uh, and we're recording this early in the morning, so thank you for getting up and, and joining us early. Yes, sir. <laughs> Well, you guys have asked some of the best questions I haven't asked in a while. So thanks for doing that, but also keeping it practical. So keep up the good work. Well, we appreciate that. that. And that's it for this week's Licensed to Parent. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org, where you can also listen to past programs, subscribe to Trace's blog, and learn more about our parent ministry, Shepherd's Hill Academy. Once again, that's licensedtoparent.org. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosel. Thanks for joining us today. Please tell your friends about the program and then plan to be with us again next time to renew your license to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.